Lord. As you know, we are uh, mainly on Facebook Live only uh, this morning, but I can tell you, for those that are gathered right here uh, on the praise team, we've had church this morning here, and I hope and pray that you have had church uh, there at home in your living room and or uh, in your bedroom your kitchen, wherever you might be. And now we're ready to preach from the Word of God. So I want to encourage you to take your Bible and turn to 1 John chapter 4. Uh, 1 John chapter 4. And I want to preach a message this morning entitled, God is Love. God is Love. If you've been with us through our study of this brief epistle, you know that the Apostle John has already uh, dealt with love in two major sections. He's dealt with love in chapter 2, and he's dealt with love in chapter 3. And those that are reading this many years ago may have thought, you know what, John, we, we've got it. I mean, you've already dealt with it. You've already gone through this. We, we got it. Uh, but you know what? Uh, they didn't have it. They didn't get it. I've been pastoring now for over three decades. And I can tell you this, uh, we don't have it either. We need a constant reminder that God is love and that we need to love others. We need that constant reminder. There was a great theologian many years ago that was asked this, what is the greatest truth you know? And they, he thought for just a moment, and he said this, the greatest truth that I know is this, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's the greatest truth that that great theologian could come up with. Our text today is absolutely pregnant with information, and it's powerful. And so I want you to take your Bible that you have there and look at chapter 4 of 1 John, and I'm going to begin reading uh, in verse number 7. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 7, listen uh, to these words. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves, listen to this, is born of God and knows God. But then John continues and he says this, he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Now, that is a powerful statement, and I want to read it one more time, and I want you to listen uh, to the power of that statement. Look again at verse 8. He who does not love does not know God. That is a very succinct statement. It's one that we need to, to get into our hearts because it says this, for God is love. Verse 9, in this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent His only begotten Son 
into the world that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, listen to this, we also ought to love one another. Let's pray together. Our Father God, in the name of Jesus, we bow before you. And Father, I thank you again for your truth this morning. I thank you that the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Father, I pray today that we might glean from your Word. Father, I pray today that you might give me clarity of thought as I preach your Word. And those that are watching and listening here in this auditorium and those who are watching now, uh, Father, on Facebook Live, others that will watch later, I pray that, that this passage will speak to our hearts. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. There are two things that I want you to notice in this passage of Scripture uh, this morning. First of all, I want you to notice simply the declaration. The declaration. In verse 7, it begins, John begins this section with that word, beloved. If you'll notice in verse 11, he also concludes this section with that word, beloved. That word means divinely loved ones. Over and over, he addresses uh, those that would read this with that term of endearment. He addresses them, beloved, five or six times in this brief letter. And he's saying, listen, I want to remind you of something you are loved by God. And I just want you to let that sink in this morning. That the God of this universe, the God, listen, that is indescribable. We sang about him just a moment ago. He is indescribable. How great he is. That God, creator God, loves you and loves me. And that's what John is saying. Beloved, those who are loved by God, listen, let us love one another. Let us love one another. When you look at that in the tense, it means we are to continually love one another. We are to habitually love. That love should be our lifestyle. Now, it's interesting that John could have used several Greek words when he was talking about love. He could have used philia. Uh, we know that word uh, because of the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia. When you look at the word philia in the Greek New Testament, that word means a friendship kind of love, a a mutual love. In other words, people who have things in common. Uh, we love to go fishing together, or we love to go golfing together, or we love to uh, go shopping together. We have philia type of love, that brotherly love, that soulmate kind of love. He could have used storge. 
Storge is that family love. Uh, we love our grandmother. We love our grandfather. We love our dad. We love our mom. We love our brother. We love our sister. That is a storge kind of love. I mean, listen, every one of us in our families, we all have a cousin Eddie, don't we? Every one of us, you serious, Mark? I, uh, Clark, I am. We all have a cousin Eddie. We, we don't want to go on vacation with them, maybe, but we love them. Uh, that is storge love. He could have used that one. He could have used eros, that Greek, Greek word eros, which is that romantic love, that physical kind of love, that passionate love. There were a couple of other Greek words that he could have used. But the one that he used is agape. Agape is an incredible word, and it means an unconditional love. It means a sacrificial love. It means you love someone, and you don't expect anything from them back. That is the word that he used. You see, uh, philia love is mentioned about 55 times in the New Testament. Storge, that family love, it's mentioned a few times. Eros is never mentioned in the New Testament, but agape love is mentioned 320 plus times in the New Testament, and many of those times were by this apostle, the apostle of love. And he says this, let us agape one another. Let us unconditionally love each other in a sacrificial way. Why? It says it right there in verse 7. Listen, look at your Bible. For love is of God. That's why. What does that mean? For love is of God. It means that He is the cause of love. It means that love, listen, flows through Him. It means that love springs forth from Him. That He is the source of love. You know, if you think about it, all bodies of water that don't have an outlet become stagnant. Uh, we have been to the Dead Sea uh, several, several times. And that body of water, uh, water goes into it, but it just stagnates. And, 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 and there's death there. Uh, nothing living can be in there. It's just salt and mineral. You can literally, and I have, you can float uh, on top of that water because it is so dense. And, and, and nothing goes out, and so everything is just death. Listen, it's the same way in the Christian life. It's the same way in life. We cannot allow our lives just to stagnate. We have to give what we have received. And we have received the love of God. Beloved. Let us love one another. Why? Because love is of God. And then it continues in verse 7. Notice what it says here. And everyone who loves, I love this, is born of God and knows God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. If you look at the tense of that in the Greek, 
It's in the perfect tense, which means this. Uh, it is a forever relationship. It is a permanent relationship. When we know God, when we are born of God, what happens? It's just like in life. Most of the time, we take on the characteristics of our mom or the characteristics of our dad. How many times have you heard, man, he is the spitting image of his father? Or she is the spitting image of her mother? Listen, because we are born of God, listen very carefully, church, there ought to be a family resemblance. He is love, so we should love. It says here, and everyone who loves, agape loves, unconditionally loves, it proves that they're born of God. It proves that they have been born again. That's what that means. When, when you love sacrificially, unconditionally, it means that you've been born of God. And listen to this, that you know God. That Greek there is gnosko. And it means to know by experience that you have experienced a personal relationship with God. That you know God. But oh, listen, in verse 8, he says this, he who does not love, let that sink into your heart. He who does not love unconditionally. You see, naturally, you can love, uh, but there's always conditions to it. If you do this, I'm going to love you. If you continue to look like that, I'm going to love you. If you will um, scratch my back, I'm going to scratch your back. But, but that's not what he's talking about here. He says, he who does not agape love, unconditionally, sacrificially love, here it is, listen church, does not know God. It means this does not have a relationship with God. That's what John says. If you don't continually love and habitually love, if that's not my lifestyle and your lifestyle, it means that you never got acquainted with God. The word there in the Greek is an absolute negation. It is a powerful statement. You don't know God, and listen carefully, no matter what they claim, no matter what they claim, no matter what they profess, if their love, if, if, if you can look at their life and their love is conditional, they really don't know God. Why? He lays it out, for God is love. He had already said love is of God. And now he says, for God is love. You know, John was great at these statements. In the Gospels, he said, God is spirit. Earlier in this epistle, he says, God is light. Now, he says, God is love. What does that mean? In his character, in his essence, in his nature, God is love. Warren Wiersbe said... Listen, the person 
who does not have this divine kind of love has never entered into a personal, experiential knowledge of God. What he knows is in his head, but it has never gotten into his heart. That's what that great man of God said. And what the apostle does is he's declaring something. And what he is declaring is this, God is love. And so we see the declaration, and then secondly, we see the demonstration. How does this play out? Look at verse 9, if you will. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us. In, In this, he's about to tell us something. But we've got to look at that word manifested. That word means brought to light. It means to be conspicuous. It means to make public or, or to display, to come out into the open that there is an unmistakable evidence. And so look again, in this, in this, and I'm about to tell you what this is in a moment, in this, the love of God was brought out into the open. In this, the love of God was made known, and there's no doubt about it. The the phraseology there is this. It's the opposite of staying hidden or to be kept secret. And so what is it? Oh, I love it. That God sent his only begotten son into the world. How was his love demonstrated? The love that John declared God is love? Church, how was it demonstrated? God the Father sent his only begotten Son. That's how it was demonstrated. When you look at this word sent, that word means as an apostle sent on a mission that had the proper credentials. And Jesus is the only one that had the proper credentials to die on the cross for you and for me. Because he was the perfect sacrifice. And so what he's saying is, here's the demonstration that God sent. That God sent his only begotten son. Yes, Isaiah said a child was born. But then he said a son is given. In other words, he's telling us uh, about the incarnation of Jesus. A child is born, yes, but a son was given. A son was sent. Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God disbanded. Where? At Calvary. That's where. He sent his only begotten son. I've had so many people through the years say, See, the word begot, Jesus never existed. Uh, And then in Bethlehem, all of a sudden he is born and he he begins to exist. That's not what only begotten means. When you look at those two words, it means this, My darling son, that one that is one of a kind. 
Jesus is the only example in that category. That word means that he is unique. He is the only begotten son of God. And then it says that we might live through him. That we might live through him. There's a purpose in your life, and and there's a purpose in my life. God sent his son into the world, his only begotten son, that we might live, that that we might uh, have that abundant life that, that John talks about in his gospel. And then you look at verse 10 of this incredible letter. Verse 10 says this, In this is love. Here he goes again. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us, and again he says, and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. The propitiation. That's a a big word. It's a $10 word. That means the satisfaction. It is related to the word atoning or the covering. Jesus, listen, Jesus so removed my sin and Jesus so removed your sin on the cross. He so removed it completely that God the Father can show us mercy now. Jesus was the propitiation. He was that sacrifice for a holy God. The Bible says in Habakkuk that God cannot look on sin, that God cannot look on evil. And so Jesus came and Jesus died and Jesus took your sin and Jesus took my sin. And because, whoo, because he took our sin, God the Father can now look on us and, and we can be reconciled to him because of the propitiation. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? It's what, it's what Charles Wesley said. If I could sing it, I would. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? Romans 5, 8 says it like this, but God demonstrated his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, 10 puts it like this. For if we, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God, how? Through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His love. It's a passage of Scripture in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 21 that says this, And you who were once aliens and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now He has reconciled. How has he reconciled? Because Jesus is the propitiation. Because Jesus died. Because he died for me and he died for you. And and he took care 
of that wrath that was headed my way and headed your way. What an incredible truth. And verse 11 says it like this. Beloved, if God so loved us, here's an oughtness, another oughtness. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Don't you know they're sitting there going, we got it? My soul, John. I mean, you keep saying the same thing over and over and over. You're like a broken record. Most teenagers don't even know what a record is, but, but you're like a broken record. You just keep saying it over and over and over. Beloved, if, that is a first-class condition in the Greek. It means since. Since God so loved us, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. What is he saying? Fish swim, birds fly, believers love. That's what he's saying. Just like fish swim and, and, and just like birds fly and, and golfers lie and fishermen lie. <laughs> just like that, believers love. That's what they do. Here's the takeaway. Here's the challenge. Here's the homework. Listen, here here it is. When we walk out of this church house and head to our house, there at home, the the challenge is, is to love. Unconditionally and sacrificially love. And he says it over and over and over and over again. Hey, you were loved by God. Love. You were loved by God, love. God loved you. He loved you so much that he sent his only begotten son. And and because of that, we are to love. And don't you know, as I've said several times on purpose, that the readers of this are going, oh my goodness, we got it. And if there were anybody other than these few that are in here, you would be thinking the same thing. Tony, Pastor, Brother T, we got it. But guess what? We need to hear it over and over and over and over and over again. I heard about Dale Moody's church in Chicago. They were having an Easter play. And it was an incredible production. The last scene was the actor that was playing Jesus was ascending up into heaven through a hole that they had cut in their roof. The place was packed. And this was the last scene. And Jesus The actor playing Jesus had done a lot of talking and he had shared everything that he was supposed to share and now he is on the top of the Mount of Olives. He has nothing else to share and and they are hoisting him up. And about halfway up, the rope broke 
and that actor fell in a lump. He was unhurt, thank goodness. And the actor playing Jesus just looked at the shocked congregation and he dusted himself off and he looked at him and he said, and another thing, love one another. And then he skedaddled out. He, he just, he wanted to give them that one last thing, love one another. And that is my challenge to my heart this morning. We have been loved and so we are to love. And if we don't love, the Bible says, we don't know God. He doesn't pull any punches. He doesn't stutter. He just lays out that truth. So I guess I want to dust myself off this morning and say another thing. Love one another. Let's pray together. Our Father God, in the name of Jesus, God, we bow before you, and my prayer this morning is that we will be men and women who love one another unconditionally, sacrificially. Father, I pray that as John the Apostle has once again been digging in this subject of love, that in our hearts this week we will dig around in it too. And Father, that we will demonstrate what has been declared, and that is that God is love. So we ought to love. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.